just trying to shoot the moon Isn't everything we've got that's just a piece of a spoon Welcome to The Word Witch, a podcast for the modern magical soul, exploring tarot, astrology, belief, and more from a queer witch, that's me, in conversation with folks making magic from the margins. I'm your host, Claire Burgess. Let's make some magic. Hello friends, witches, otherlings, and welcome to a new episode of the Word Witch Podcast. In this one, I'm going to be talking with David Salisbury, author of a new book on witchcraft and activism, appropriately titled Witchcraft Activism, a Toolkit for Magical Resistance. I can't wait to share this interview with you. David and I talk about some really cool things, um, including using magic for activism and the connection between magic working and working for progress um, on this earth and in this society. Um, and we also talk about um, queering the uh, gods and goddesses in pagan pantheons um, and a lot of other really great stuff. We talk about privilege. Uh, we talk about educating others about privilege and things like that. So stay tuned for that excellent interview coming up um, after I do some quick announcements and um, talk about the astrology of right now, or really specifically talk about Pisces and the moon card and the Mercury retrograde coming up. But first, I want to let you all know, um, I have an uh, interview um, with me well, th that doesn't make sense. My friend Jasper has a new podcast called With All Sincerity and Affection. Love that title. Um, and he interviewed me for an episode um, way back when. Uh, it's been out for a while, but it just now, the podcast just now got onto iTunes. So it's on iTunes now and Spotify now. So it's easy for you all to go check out. So if you want to hear me get interviewed by my friend Jasper, um, we talk about uh, my sort of path to tarot, uh, growing up in the Christian church, uh, queerness a little bit. Um, and I also talk about a thing that I haven't talked about on this podcast yet and haven't actually really, you know, talked about publicly whatsoever. <laughs> um, so you'll have to go over there and check it out. Mystery. <laughs> um, if you want to hear it. Uh, I think it's a, a really good conversation that we had. Jasper is a great interviewer. Uh, my episode is uh, episode four, and it has my name in the title, Claire Burgess. So it's episode four. Um, and uh, yeah, so check out that podcast with all sincerity and affection. Thank you so much, Jasper, for the amazing conversation. Okay, so that's uh, it for announcements at the moment. Um, wait, no, it's not. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, uh, uh, I have closed down my readings temporarily, uh, probably for the next few months. Um, I've, uh, made this choice because, um, I wanted to, to sort of carve out some more time to work on several really exciting projects that I have going on, um, that I'm working on by myself or that I'm collaborating with others on. Um, all of these are veiled in such secrecy. <laughs> um, so I can't, uh, I can't tell you about them yet, but I hopefully will be able to soon. Um, so if, uh, if you've been wanting a tarot reading from me, um, right now they're not open, but you can sign up for my newsletter, uh, which you can do on my website, thewordwitchtarot.com. Um, and, uh, my newsletter subscribers will be among the first to know when my books open again. Um, and if you are an existing client, uh, which means like pretty much if I've ever read for you before, um, just reach out to me. You have my contact information. Um, reach out to me and uh, I'm still here for you. I'm always here for you. And we can arrange a reading. So yeah, I can't wait to share these projects with you when it's time. I'm dying. I just can't help but keep dropping hints. Um Okay, so now the announcements are over. Let's talk about astrology. So it's Pisces season. It has been Pisces season for like a week now, uh, a little bit over a week. Um, and uh, well, you know, a lot of a, a common Piscean trait is being a little bit late, being a little bit like flighty. And I'm not a Pisces, but... I do have my Venus and Mercury in Pisces, so hey, <laughs> week late, whatever. So Pisces is um, a water sign in the Zodiac. It is the sign that rules the 12th house. Um, it is a really fantastic and complex and um, probably like the most mutable, malleable, adaptable, transformative sign in the Zodiac in my opinion. It's all about imagination, intuition, psychic as fuckness, <laughs> um, creativity, love, love, good feels, um, <laughs> emotion. Um, my partner, Aaron, is a Pisces son. I love Pisces so much. And um, what does that mean for this month? Well, you know, Pisces season uh, is always characterized by some of those things. Um, a really wonderful opportunity to tap into our creativity, our whimsy, our sense of play, um, our intuition. But this Pisces season in particular is going to be um, really strongly about that. So one reason why is because we have a Mercury retrograde coming up, the first one of 2019. Uh, for those of you who aren't quite sure what Mercury retrograde means, but have probably heard people talking about it uh, all the time, <laughs> you'll know that um, the the common the common things people say about it are like, oh, technology goes haywire, don't sign contracts, uh, don't make big decisions. Well. Uh, newsflash, Mercury retrogrades happen all the freaking time. Um, if we 
put our entire lives on hold every single Mercury retrograde. Like we'd never get anything done. Um, our technology would be broken constantly. It like it. I mean, those things just they, they aren't super realistic. Aren't super realistic, guys. And I don't think that they're that that's necessary. Um, however, what Mercury retrogrades do do is. Um, they, they can make communication a little bit more difficult because um, there's a tendency towards um, miscommunication, towards distraction. Um, what happens in a retrograde is that normally with the planet's direct motion, Mercury is the planet of the mind, of thoughts, of, of communication. Uh, Mercury is the messenger to the gods in uh, Greek mythology. And... When Mercury goes retrograde, which means it kind of um, it appears to move backwards in the sky, which is an optical illusion because planets don't reverse their motion. <laughs> um, but when this happens, uh, our thoughts are turned inwards. Our communication is a little less clear or we have to sort of um, be more intentional about the words we are saying because our sort of inner eye is turned into ourselves and is possibly not as aware of what's going on around us, which means that Mercury retrograde is a great, great time for reflection, for reflection, review, um, for revising, revising, for rest. Uh, in this period, we kind of like our, our minds, Mercury, our minds sort of go into our own underworld. And there's so many opportunities here for, for new and deeper understanding of what we have going on on our insides. Um, and this Mercury retrograde is in Pisces. And Pisces is already so much about our insides, our inwardness, um, our intuition. It's already a, a sign that um, is much more like, hmm. So an air sign in their communication style is, you know, likely to be like very direct, very clear, um, possibly very verbose. But uh, very clear. A a Pisces on the other on the other hand is more likely to communicate with like interpretive dance or or um, experimental poetry or um, colors. <laughs> um, and so this Mercury retrograde in Pisces is really really gonna be um, a powerful time for intentionally tapping into our intuition uh, for. Um, engaging in our imagination, engaging in creativity. Um, if you have any creative projects that you've been working on that are on the back burner or, or like hobbies that you're, that, that you're into that use that sort of imaginative or creative muscle, do that. Like that's a great sort of touchstone and anchor for this Mercury retrograde in Pisces. Um, just really lean in to that intuition and don't try to understand freaking everything with your mind all the time. It's important that sometimes we can't completely understand everything. We can't conceptualize everything. We have to sort of be okay in the gray area, in the unknowing, in the void. Um, and guess what? That's also um, the card, the tarot card that 
Pisces rules is the moon, number 18, the moon. And the moon is the like, it's the void in the tarot. It's the unknowing. It's the underworld. It's imagination and fantasy and dreams and fear and illusion and hmm, deception So that's the downside that we might face this month uh, in this Mercury retrograde is a tendency towards, um, aside from the normal miscommunication, um, a tendency towards confusion. Confusion, heightened emotions. Emotions are great. Feel those emotions. Be in those emotions. Let those emotions pass through you. Don't let those emotions rule you. Um, and when they they rise, when they have a tendency to rise over this Mercury retrograde, don't let those emotions pour out your mouth because <laughs> that's going to lead to um, hurt feelings, to saying things that you don't really mean um, or to saying things that you mean but having them misunderstood by other people. So, you know, uh, having, a, having a good filter um, before speaking is always a great thing, but Uh, especially during Mercury retrogrades. Um, Oh, I should probably tell you the dates (laughs) of this retrograde. Uh, So Mercury goes retrograde on March 5th um, and will be retrograde moving backwards through the sky till March 28th when it turns direct again. And lastly, um, I just want to say a little bit more about the moon card. We'll talk more about the moon when we um, have the tarot lesson on the nines because it's part of the nines number family with with the hermit. Um, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But um, I wanted to uh, relay. So when I was I was talking about what I was going to say for Pisces and the moon card last night with my partner Aaron, who I already told you is a Pisces. Um, I asked I asked him, "Is there anything um, like what do you what do you, what is your connection to the moon card? Like how do you think that the moon card connects to Pisces? Because um, you know, getting that getting that Pisces Pisces perspective." Um, and his answer was incredibly Pisces, which was. I don't really know that card confuses me, (laughs) which is also doubly appropriate because the moon is a confusing card. It's a card about confusion and illusion. Um, But then he said that um, he thinks about the moon card as being a card about walking your intuitive path, about not resisting it about listening to your intuition, heeding it, and being unafraid to follow the path that it leads you down. And this is so just perfect and resonant for the moon um, and for the card itself in the Smith Waite imagery. Um, we have a, a path leading from a pool of water off into the distance between two pillars under a moon, the intuitive path, y'all. And I think another part of what he said is important too. So even as um, it can be scary to follow our intuition, um, it can. There can be a lot of confusion. There can be fears. Um, there can be illusions. We might we might not know quite what's going on or quite where we're going. The important thing is if we follow it anyway, if we listen to our intuition anyway, and are brave enough to walk that path through the underworld, then ultimately we come out the other side of that card with more, 
more, just so much deeper understanding of ourselves, of our insides. Um, and we exit the card 18, the moon into 19, the sun. It's a necessary journey through the underworld in order to come back up into the sunlight, (laughs) into the spring. And uh, hey, that's also the next season, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, with Pisces sort of wrapping up the winter. Okay, so let's get on to our interview. So um, David Salisbury is a proud queer person vegan and witch living in Washington, D.C., where he helps lead one of the largest organizations of witches and pagans on the East Coast, the Firefly House. David teaches around the country and has presented at Pagan Pride Days, Pagan Spirit Gathering, Sacred Harvest Festival, Pantheacon, and many more gatherings and shops around the country. He's the author of three previous books on witchcraft and magic, and his fourth book, Witchcraft Activism, A Toolkit for Magical Resistance, which we're going to be talking about today, (laughs) is coming out March 1st from Wiser Books. I got to read an advanced copy of Witchcraft Activism, and I loved it so much. <laughs> um, I I learned some new things from it. I did. I really did. Um, it is a great primer for merging um, magic with activism, merging magic with with. Um, with the the good work that we are trying to do in the world with enacting change with protecting our environment he talks about all these things in there gives tips for how to use magic ritual sigils um spirits it's a great resource i encourage everybody to check it out and it comes out tomorrow <laughs> so i say in the interview that it was going to come out in about a week uh but this is a week, this podcast is a week late. You know, I got off track last last podcast. So it comes out tomorrow. Everybody go get it. <laughs> uh, let's uh, go over to my interview with David. Here you go. All right. I'm here with David Salisbury, author of Witchcraft Activism, which is I had the privilege of reading in advanced copy, which thank you so much for that, David. That was amazing. It was such a privilege to read it early. I devoured it. <laughs> I, I took notes. Um, uh, David, before I continue gushing about your book, <laughs> can, uh, can you... Um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, about how you um, got into this sort of nexus of things, activism and also witchcraft? Yeah, thank you so, so much for, for all of that and all of this. <laughs> um, yeah, both witchcraft and activism are kind of things that have always felt really intertwined in my life ever since I was uh, a youngin. Um, both some of my uh, earliest memories of having kind of mystical experiences were, you know, around uh, 11 or 12, even like a little bit earlier than that um, in abstract ways. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, you know, I had uh, growing up, you know, just seeing protests and things like that in my community and kind of just 
paying attention to the world. Um, really liked Captain Planet as a kid. Yes. yes. <laughs> Probably indoctrinated a few of us uh-huh. <laughs> in, all, in all the best ways. Um, yeah. And um, even though it uh, was years later that I started to really kind of throw myself into activist work, um, learning magic and the craft early on, um, it just, the things that I experienced and learned um, and underwent um, in terms of all the things that we kind of teach and and learn and pick up about ourselves. um, It just seemed like the craft is such a great space and container for Mm -hmm. working with change (laughs) because Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the point of, of magic in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So they just seem to fit really well together. And um, I kind of made those two things kind of the, staple of of me like my personal identity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think in the book you um uh you do a little uh sort of introduction as to like how you got into both of these areas of things and I think you wrote that some of your first um encounters with activism were was it in high school where it was like part of like um like with the gay straight alliance or something like am I remembering that correctly yeah, I um, formed my high school's uh, Gay Straight Alliance uh, local chapter in that time, just kind of as a response to um, more of my uh, classmates, you know, coming out and others who just wanted to be allies, um, seeing a space for that. And at the same time was also um, doing uh, a youth study group for Wicca yes. <laughs> around, around like the ninth grade at the same time. And <laughs> I, I, I had a good uh, amount of overlapping membership in those two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i yeah and <laughs> go ahead it, I, even um earlier than that it, it's funny like the things that you experience when you're um much younger that kind of stick with you um i think i was around 10 um my father was in a union and took me to a rally mm-hmm. um that I, and i had never seen anything like that before and it just was like really high energy, passionate people screaming on megaphones. And yeah. I thought, I want a megaphone to scream in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Adolescents unionize. Um. Yeah. <laughs> D- didn't really understand what a union was until, right. until years later, obviously. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you, gr- you grew up in um, upstate New York, right? Or Rochester? Uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. Buffalo, New York. Yeah. And now you're in DC, right? Yeah. I've um, just hit my 10 year mark here. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It really feels like home. Yeah. Right where all the action is. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. We just had a lot of stuff happening um, this past weekend. You know, we had mm-hmm. contingents for the Women's March, um, Indigenous People's March, uh, mm-hmm. as well as the. Um, Catholic right to life march, like all of those things were yeah, <laughs> converging yeah. same place, same time, which yeah, makes for interesting scenery. I bet. Yeah. And so and so David, in in addition to um uh writing this book on witchcraft and activism, you are an active activist in your community in Washington, DC. And you're also active, of course, in the pagan community in Washington, DC. Um and can you just like can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be yeah. a practicing activist pagan 
in Washington, D.C. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's um, interesting because um, a lot of uh, people who know me um, are kind of confused about how I can devote the time to both. Um, yeah. But it, in a lot of ways, the, those things are usually kind of separate spaces because um, the act- activism work is um, for the most part, my regular day job, um, mm-hmm. because I do state level legislation for, um, LGBTQ issues, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, uh, digital advocacy, organizing, get people to take action online with petitions, contacting their legislators, mm-hmm. um, actions like that. Um, and then, uh, when I first moved to the district though, I, I knew that I needed something to kind of, um, keep me grounded and balanced. Um, and I'd been involved with um, local pagan organizations before, um, but I never really kind of fully threw myself into something like studying with a tradition mm-hmm. um, that that has, you know, regular physical meetings and covens and things like that. Um, so I immediately searched for something like that um, in D.C. and I found the Firefly House, which is a, a pan-pagan, uh, eclectic magic group. Um, and so I would do that stuff on the weekends. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then um, I eventually uh, just being involved for years and years with that, I started becoming one of the lead organizers. And so um, because of me doing that, my activism work is kind of seeped into that a lot. And now mm-hmm. Firefly House is kind of known for being like the witchy activist group yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in the area, um, which, I'm proud of that. Um, you, you know, I, I never like to push my interests there on, you know, other witchy pagan folk because um, mm-hmm. I think it's important for everyone to find their own thing. Um, but uh, people just seem to take to it really well. Um, yeah. I've heard a lot from people that it just feels like a natural experience for someone to, you know, sit in a tomb with the earth and natural powers and then go fight for those powers. Yeah. Just makes sense for people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, um, in in the book, you, um, I think you articulated really well the um, sort of intersection of witchcraft or magic working in general and um, and activism, like whether it's activism in small ways or larger ways, but that the two are kind of like not only do not only are they really linked because, like you said before working with magic is creating change. Activism is creating change. But like, there's also like, would you say they're not just linked in that way? But is there like a a responsibility for people who are witches or magicians or magic workers of any kind to have some sort of involvement in making positive change for their communities or for the collective? Yeah, I I absolutely think it's a responsibility because um, I think that half the battle is knowing. um, Mm -hmm. And once you learn something, you know, you can't undo it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And as magic workers, we often find ourselves in positions where we're becoming uh, rapidly empathic to others, for example, um, or uh, we might start to become, if we're not already psychically sensitive, merely by working with these cosmic energies Mm -hmm. and uh, through those experiences you start to just become aware of things like injustice and um, I 
I always like to tell people, you know, when I say things like that, don't mean that I think that you have to, you know, quit your day job and start marching in the street every single day with a big banner. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you can start little. It uh, sounds trite to say at first, you know, because there's so many little axioms about, you know, creating a, a little wedge of a difference each day. It sounds like a <laughs> poster in a dentist's office or something. But, but it really, really is true. You know, um, you don't have to be this revolutionary figure overnight or really ever. Um, You know, some of the greatest change makers I see in communities are just doing that work little by little. You know, it's the the person who, I don't know, sees that um, there uh, is a need for elder care support in their aging neighborhood and, you know, sets Mm -hmm. up a little community of people to check on those folks. Um, So one example um, of a friend I saw a few weeks ago who's doing something like that. Um, and that's stuff that, you know, probably will never make the news. It's, you know, not going to win any awards, but it's, it's really, really personal and important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think magic workers can identify with, um, work like that because that, uh, is kind of like an act of priesting for your community, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. the, the priest or the priestess is acting as, um, an interface for, power that they're channeling and power that they're giving and sharing with their community. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, so both of those roles of being, you know, like a caretaker for the earth and the earth's people, um, as well as a magician of it can, yeah, really just be synonymous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes tons of sense. Yeah. And, and the exa- example um, that you provided too, I think really makes a, makes a great point for those people who, um, you know, pay attention to what's going on in the world and would like to do something, but are overwhelmed by how very many things there are to do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, magic workers, a lot like many um, would-be activists, is that sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit um, for, for how impactful those things are. You know, so if I do um, uh, organizing for... Um, queer positive issues in digital spaces. Um, yeah, you know, some people might say, oh, wait, I got a request to sign another petition. It's not going to do anything. If, if you actually go um, to, you know, say your state senator's office or, you know, come to DC and <laughs> connect with your reps on the federal level, um, all of those offices will tell you for the most part, yes, we do want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, reread these things, you know, your, your Senator, for example, might not be reading every single email personally all the time, but you know, they have a staff who are, you know, employed full time to do that, those things. And, you know, I'm not naive enough to, um, think that every, um, elected official is going to actually take what people say into account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not how it works all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but a great deal of the time, yeah, if you're, consistent enough and, and loud enough, they do take notice. Yeah. And that that uh, brings me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you about about the book. Or one of the so in 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 your book, you offer a lot of really great like practical um, sort of like breakdowns of activism, just like simply like different kinds of activism, different ways that you mm-hmm. can be involved, like on just like the practical, this is how it works level like the you know human muggle level if you will to borrow a harry potter term right. <laughs> and then also you provide um 
magical tips and spells and workings and that you can use along with your muggle activist e- efforts to increase the um, uh, likelihood that, say, a letter will get read by your senator or uh, to protect yourself at a rally or, or things like that. One of the things that you talk about, specifically with letter writing, like writing to representative, is including a sigil um, in your letter. And uh, you have a really great tip for how to how to include that, like in in typewritten emails when you can't like draw like a sigil in your email. Yeah. Um, and I, after I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go back to David's email and see if he did this to me. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't think I did. <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't. Or if you did, you did it so slyly that like I could not find it. But <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hysterical. <laughs> I thought that was genius. And then I was like, oh, he needs to put one of these on his like um, his marketing materials for his book. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that is a good idea. Yeah, yeah I um, this something I do for, um, you know, specifically my community work is uh, I have one of those embedded into my um, email signature. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for uh, folks listening, um, one of these little tricks is that you come up with, um, a power statement, write it all down. Um, like, uh, you know, not necessarily even for an activist goal, but, um, I will get the job interview and then you type it all out, you remove the vowels and then the repeating consonants and you combine it together, stick that in your email signature, um, make the font white or transparent and mm-hmm. zoom it way down. So it's essentially invisible. And yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, that's so clever. That's so clever. Um, I hadn't thought about that before. And that's like, that's one of those, those tips that you give in the book that like, I, that's, that's in my toolkit now. <laughs> awesome. I'm I will so glad. That. But just things that are so um, like practical as that, like are just so, that's so useful and it's applicable to so many realms of life too. Um and you you have other content in there about um, uh, 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 guarding from burnout, for instance, mm-hmm. which was something that I found. I was really glad that you talked about that because being like being an activist does take so much energy, and it is. I think it's so our our emotions get so wrapped up in it too. You know, we get so yeah. invested and then like feel the pressure to always like to do it all the time, always be on, always be on top of everything and doing all the things. And um, yeah. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about burnout, how to avoid it, how to address it? I mean, I think it's useful for life too. (laughs) Yeah. um, The interesting thing about burnout is that it, it is, a condition that affects everyone in every realm and every sphere, you know, not just activism, but also things like pagan leadership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've ex- uh, experienced burnout in those spaces. A lot of um, pagan leader folk uh, talk about that a lot, actually, because there um, there are so few people who specifically do like pagan community event organizing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there's so few people doing it, you know, we all take on too much. Um, but burnout, I think, is particularly challenging for magic workers because 
of that psychic sensitivity I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, we're not just becoming burnt out by the sheer amount of work that we're doing, but also the empathic stress of everything. Yeah. All of that, um, you know, uh, the, there's this uh, term carrying emotional labor, which mm-hmm. essentially means um, you're, uh, you, you have this kind of invisible bag that you're always lugging around that has, you know, your your own personal work and your stories um, and your trauma and all of that. But you also, when you go into these spaces, are taking on other people's stories and trauma yeah. <laughs> and, and fears and hopes and all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, the, there's some uh, kind of conventional ad- advice that some people just kind of throw out vaguely that's like, well, just don't do that. Just don't take on. <laughs> but... but but it just happens. Like there's no, mm-hmm. um, you'll notice I, I didn't um, include any kind of ritual that's like um, to wall yourself off from, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It, the, the empathy of this stuff. Um, because one, it's impossible. Um, and two, you wouldn't want to do that because uh, part of the ways that we can become so effective is to, you know, keep our hearts open yeah. and to allow ourselves to feel that stress sometime. Um, but you don't want to feel it so much that it crushes you and, (laughs) and, and you never return to it again. Um, so yeah, all the, all the self-care tips, um, for anything really apply, um, with activism in particular, it's, you know, um, not letting your heart get cold, uh, not, um, allowing yourself to get too disappointed with the state of things all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of the things, um, that we're working for aren't things that, we're going to see a full revolution on in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. You know, where the work we're doing is work that our ancestors have been doing forever um, and that our descendants will do um, for a long time, I'm sure. So uh, we have to just kind of take it day by day um, and also, you know, have fun, mm-hmm. see your friends, go on dates, do all the fun stuff, play video games. Yeah. You know, I just started getting into video games the 31 year old guy you would have think that I would have like had a lot of experience with video games nope never played one in my life and until like this winter um w- one of my teachers was like you should try playing a video game for like stress relief oh my gosh yeah yeah <laughs> and I'm like I don't know that seems like a waste of time and I do it and actually it has like helped my stress levels a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah so j- just finding like little things like that that might surprise you that that allow you to take a breather Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I I love that because it's that's all. It's something that seems like so like um, where it can seem so like self indulgent or like uh, you're walling yourself off in like fantasy land playing a video game. But like you need that. We need that escape. Yeah. You know, we need that that sort of channel or or funnel for energy too. Because like I don't know what kind of video games you're playing, but if it's one that's of the violent sort, you get to like. <laughs> take out some aggression <laughs> right yeah <laughs> in, a, in a safe virtual realm um, yeah exactly yeah yeah um that yeah the, the the burnout advice um that you give in the book was really like divinely timed for me I think because I was dealing with some of that just in like my personal life uh, and I was like right like yeah. it is like super important to like I always, I always tell this to my mom that she, she's such a caretaker. She wants to take care of other people constantly. And so she doesn't take care of herself, yeah. you know? And so I'm always telling her, you have to take care of yourself, mom, first so that you can take care of other people. And then 
I don't take my own freaking advice. So. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm the same way. Like I, I try to be really honest with people that, you know, even writing about this stuff doesn't mean that I follow my <laughs> own advice a hundred percent of the time. Like I'm a human being as we all are. Um, like this week, um, you know, for my day job, I was crazy busy and um, it, starting to be a particularly busy, busy time of year um, for what I do. And, you know, I, I noticed that I was just kind of like, you know, coming home and I, I'm like rushed and I don't feel like doing anything before bed. So I'm just like ordering the Chinese food, no, no water all day. And then I just crash. <laughs> and then like, th that's fine every once in a while. <laughs> but at the end of the week, I was like, wow, I'm like even more exhausted and low energy than usual. And I realized, yeah. oh, it's because I'd been doing that every day this week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't been drinking water. I hadn't, you know, really been respecting my sleep time. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, so I do it too. And, and it's not like once you learn kind of the tips and strategies to avoid that, that you'll be good for life. You know, it's, uh -huh. it, it's just like, you know, our magical spiritual work. Sometimes you like are really feeling the magic. You're like, yes, I'm so in tune with the cosmos. <laughs> I'm manifesting everything. I'm like, hitting the altar every morning before work and then and then others you're just like uh like <laughs> sure sure I can infuse this difficult challenge um with with some magic and help help me help myself but I don't really feel like it uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and yeah and so you can kind of see some similarities with this work because both of these things magic and activism are work <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though both can be very fun and fulfilling <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. At and um, what was the? Oh man, I wanted to ask you. Um, this is maybe going back a little bit to um, when you were sharing about. Uh, so you you told us a little bit about putting the sigil in like your email line. There's other yeah. things that you suggest for um, like in person. Um, activist work, like going to see your representative or going to see your yeah. city council member. Um, and um, I think uh, you, you suggested like you can, I, I'm particularly just like in, like into like sigil work right now. So that's like maybe yeah. why I keep focusing on this stuff. But um, I, I think you said something about like drawing a sigil or writing something on your palm and like um, washable marker so it can like transfer to the person's hand who yeah. you're shaking. <laughs> and um, first of all, ingenious. And then second, I was dying to ask you if you've ever gotten like a really, really weird look from a representative or a city council member when they like look at their hand or they look <laughs> at you and they're like, what? <laughs> no, because you do it in like yellow Crayola. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Now, maybe if someone wanted their their target to know that that mm -hmm. something just happened to them, you know, because there's a little bit of like psychological power behind some of these uh -huh. these spells, you know, some of them, but the powers and the secrecy. And sometimes, you know, like there are certain magical traditions where you want someone to know that you are working on right. them. So, you know, you, you could draw that sigil in deep red and then, <laughs> you know, say you're meeting with like a senator who backs the NRA. Oh my gosh. <laughs> sh sh shake that red Sharpie on their hand. Oh, look, the blood's on your hands right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if nobody's going to want to shake your hand now, David, like <laughs> after all the senators read this book, as I'm sure they will. <laughs> they watch well, out for that late. guy. <laughs> yeah. It's too late. I've been around a while. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. The work, the work has already begun. 
Yeah. Um, um, let's see. What would you say? So you you offer all of these tools, like literally the subtitle of your book is, is Witchcraft Activism, a, a Toolkit for, oh God, I can't remember the rest of it right uh, now. Magical Resistance, I think. Yeah. They, yeah, a yeah. toolkit for magical resistance. And it is literally like a toolkit. There's a lot of uh, resources that you offer in there. Um, but is there something that is there like one thing that you would say you would advise somebody to start with or like one thing that you think is the most important for somebody who wants to um, start merging their magic with activism or vice versa? Yeah, I think um, psychic development is extremely important mm-hmm. um, for a, a variety of reasons. Um in, in terms of if there are folks who are really interested in doing the on the street kind of stuff, you know, like protests, rallies, um, or, you know, like handing out flyers, something like that. Um, most of those events are perfectly safe um, and pose no danger to anyone. You know, the majority of street protests are, are all very peaceful. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes it, stuff happens. Um, so developing psychic sensitivity exercises that can help you, um, uh, you know, be a little more in touch with your intuition about what's happening around you mm-hmm. is really helpful. Um, you, you know, that there can be things that you don't expect um, and you can be doing everything right and forces outside of your control can come into play. You know, so for example, um, a, a couple of years ago, um, I was at uh, a big march. I can't actually remember what it was for. It, it was one of the big ones um, <laughs> in DC that usually every year or six months, there's there's some giant march in, in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, walking through um, a little sign. And I also do like um, uh, on-site healing work at demonstrations a lot. So I bring like a backpack full of waters and power bars and like bandages just in case. Some, mm-hmm. you know, because people are really bad about like staying hydrated at, at these things. That's yeah. like the number one thing, um, surprisingly. And um, yeah, I was just walking through and I just uh, checked in with myself and got this nudge where I was like, hmm, I, I'm going to fall like to the back of the line as much as I can because I'm not liking where I, where I am right here. And as soon as I did that and stepped way back, um, that section that I was just in um had this like riot police raid oh my gosh um, where and the marchers were totally fine like they weren't doing anything wrong but yeah a bunch of riot cops came out and started zip tying people and uh, they just you know that usually how those things work is they find like the, the first dozen or so people uh-huh. that they can get um oh, yeah so, so, so little things like that you, mm-hmm. you know what once you kind of develop the skills over time it can just take a couple seconds that can make a difference. Oh yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Psychic development. Um, but yeah, also in terms of um, uh, being able to kind of um, sense where a campaign might be going. Um, so I give um, some terror spread examples. Yes. Yes. Um, about kind of how to interpret what your, <laughs> your enemy or target might be thinking. Um, some of that stuff is a little more on the direct organizing level that, mm-hmm. you know, so um, it, if you're talking about like government policy action, that mm-hmm. that might not all be completely relevant. But yeah, stuff that you're doing in your lo- own local community to create change, um, or even just like on the personal familial level, um, there's uh, a, a woman in one of the covens I was connected to um, who really places strong importance on psychic discernment. 
um, and had this strong urge to check in with um, her niece, I think it was, and just hadn't talked to her for a while. And she called them that night and niece said, oh my gosh, I'm about to come out to the whole family. I'm really freaking out. Oh um, my gosh. It's crazy that you called me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and she was able to, you know, like give her, you know, a good heart to heart and gave her the, the pep talk that she needed to be brave. And and, mm. and that's magical activism right there. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> it yeah, is. But on the most personal level. Wow, yeah. Man, that's, re- that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and that that kind of ties into um, another question I wanted to ask you, at least as far as like just on the level of talking to people we know, you know, like you you write in your book about um, educating people. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have to be like huge, um, uh, like now I'm a professional activist or, you know, um, you're doing like a telethon to raise money, you, you know, you can right. just talk to the people that you know, who are like in your family or you work with or your friends or like whatever. Um, and try, you know, try to educate them for the cause. I have certainly done that. Um, but I know that um, a lot of times people are resistant. So specifically, I wanted to ask you about, um, like it's really clear from talking to you now and from reading your book that like you are a person who like acknowledges his privilege, right? Like listeners can't see you, but you're a white man. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I am. And I am a white person too. We both have, you know, a very high level of privilege. Um, you acknowledge that privilege and it's clear that you try to like use that privilege you have to, um, to elevate the people who are underprivileged or disenfranchised. Right. Um, And one of the first steps to that is recognizing that privilege, acknowledging it. And a lot of people experience a lot of resistance to that initially when they're told, you know, you have privilege. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you you have any like advice for people who are either um, like listening to this and experiencing that resistance right now or who are, who are, who are talking to people and trying to, you know, educate them about this or help them acknowledge this for themselves. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is just how great, um, magical, um, or just spiritual work in general that's focused on the self is so important because, um, it, you know, not, not all of them, but many magical practices place a strong focus on looking at, um, what we might see as our, our shadow self or our, our undeveloped natures that are, you know, mm-hmm. disconnected from the heart and with humanity and with nature and um, the uh, places where we might not want to um, recognize or admit about ourselves. Um, and, and we kind of fearlessly attempt to go through the work to fuse all of those disparate parts together. So um, mm-hmm. d- doing work like that, um, not for me, um, always trying to have people on the physical, uh, not necessarily magical side who I know will help keep me accountable Mm -hmm. is really, really helpful. Um, because let's be clear, it doesn't matter how much privilege checking and self-work we do, we're always going to mess up at some point Mm -hmm. (laughs) again. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one of those constant practice things, you know, um, anytime I tell people about, you know, how important, 
uh, privilege and fragility and all that stuff is to look at. Um, it's not coming from a like uh, holier than thou <laughs> space. Right. It's saying like, wow, I'm also like this deeply flawed person um, that has hangups and I put myself in echo chambers um, and I don't listen sometimes and I'm stubborn. Um, yeah. and Hey, I see that you're, you're probably like that too. So <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it, I'm not out to get you, but, um, yeah. And the, the big reason why that's so important aside from the fact that it's just the right thing to do, um, is that it's the right thing to do in order to be effective. Mm. You know? So, um, you know, if you charge into a space thinking that you have all the answers, um, no one's going to listen mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you're probably not going to get very far with your work. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes everything pointless if you don't start with the self first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, and like, um, yeah, I like what you, you it, it seems also like you really, um, and I think you wrote about this in the book too. Uh, you really are conscious of listening to people in the communities that you're trying to serve, you know, or that, that you're, you know, doing this work with. Um, and that's another thing that I think just needs to be like, I don't know, talked about more or emphasized more. I I think that sometimes ego gets wrapped up into activist causes or something. And then we forget to listen and we think we know like we we are the, yeah. we know what's right and you know, you know what and I mean? it, it's a natural thing to happen right because w- once people start doing this work um and feel um start to feel a little effective it, it can be exciting and mm-hmm. then we start channeling all that fiery like mars warrior energy <laughs> but then that has to be tempered <laughs> mm-hmm. because otherwise we're just going in swords blazing um, and then again, not being very effective. Um, mm-hmm. and once again, I've done all of that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm guilty too, but yeah. Um, the, the whole, uh, active listening thing, um, it really isn't that challenging when you think of, um, communities you're serving as being in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people might be familiar with the concept of active listening in terms of like, um, uh, a like romantic partner relationship, mm-hmm. um, or even in a student teacher relationship. Um, I remember first, first hearing about active listening at, in like, I think 11th grade literature class, yeah. um, as uh, kind of a study method. Um, but it applies to communities too. It means, uh, sitting and just being quiet, um, not being silent forever, you know, like w- when you're called to, you know, stand up in solidarity and mm-hmm. use your platform and voice you should. But yeah, we can learn a lot by listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, you also, um, David, you had a, uh, you have a section in your book as well about uh, the history of um, activist magic working and um, which activists uh, in the back of the book, which was also just like really cool and fascinating. Um, and I knew, I knew about some of the stuff that you lay out in there, but it's, it's really just so cool to see this sort of like this ancestry of, of magic workers, um, working for these, for progress and for these causes, just like going way, way back. 
Um, I loved nerding out about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. Um, do you have uh, do you have like a favorite like activist ancestor magic worker that you could share with us? Yeah, so um, probably my favorite is uh, one that is just steeped in lore and mythology, and that would be the goddess Aradia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so um, uh, not necessarily a historical figure, but in the, the sense of um, historical magical literature, you know, if folks aren't familiar, um, Aradia is a goddess from Italian folklore. She's the daughter of the moon goddess Diana. Mm-hmm. Um, and then folklorist Charles Leland's uh, 1899 book, um, the story goes that she was sent to Earth by the goddess Diana to teach uh, women and other marginalized folks uh, witchcraft so that they could rise up against their oppressors yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and heal themselves and others um, and to weave magic into the world for the first time. And that's the story of the first witches. And um, I, I wasn't sure how my publisher was going to feel about me like weaving that into like a history section. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I try to be really clear about the fact that, um, you know, uh, acknowledging things that we know as physical history is really important to learn from, but magical traditions are storytelling traditions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the things that we learn from myth and folklore and story can be just as powerful and just as moving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually I, I have, probably four different copies of uh, the book Aradia, the Gospel of Witches. And that's one of my um, little uh, anti-burnout motivation things is I keep a a copy by my nightstand and a copy by my desk at work. And I just open it every once in a while and read it (laughs) almost like a little psalm book. Uh Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And that is so like what you, what you said about um, magic uh, and storytelling. And I mean, isn't, isn't that also like, so it wasn't like an actual historical figure, but it is a figure that's in the consciousness of all, every, everybody who's come from um, that tradition, you know, or it's like, I don't know, it's it's woven in with the work that witches and magic workers do right even as a a a witch or or a magician or somebody who works magic is sort of or has historically very much been an outsider you know and an outcast like it's just yeah i definitely see how that's completely interwoven into like the fabric of this (laughs) yeah and then you know the, the other thing too about the looking at the history of activists and magical people is that um uh you know, these people weren't usually perfect in every area. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, so you could have had um, an amazing historical figure. um, And and there were quite a few from, you know, first wave feminism movements, for example, Mm -hmm. who maybe later in life ended up being absolutely terrible about trans issues. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We we see that, um, unfortunately, too often. Um, in those spaces and even in magical communities. But uh, yeah, history gives us a good lens, you know, because it can not only show us, um, you know, like human sources for inspiration, but also um, where we can grow. And it reminds us to not be like, so um, uh, like stuck in entrenched ways of thinking that we can't, you know, listen to new voices and new movements and people who we might not be hearing all the time. 
So, so that's why I do go ahead and talk about things like first wave feminism yeah. um, and other movements like that, that uh, d- didn't really uh, rise to the occasion as much as we would have liked them to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Who, or figures like, um, who was it? Was it uh, Woodhull, Victoria Woodhull? Am I yeah, remembering that name correctly? Woodhull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who also um, believed in eugenics. Yes. Mm-hmm. Problematic to say the least, yep. <laughs> to say the least. Um, but at the same time, did push the cause of like uh, feminism or, or suffrage forward, right? Wasn't she a suffragette? Maybe I'm getting yes. that. Yeah. Okay. Yes, good. She was. Good. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the suffrage movement <laughs> on its own, right, is obviously tied with, um, it, you know, a lot of failures with racial justice work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hopefully most people are familiar <laughs> with those short shortcomings. If mm-hmm. not, there's a lot of great books and movies, but um, yeah. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why magic workers can be particularly effective because uh, we tend to be not as enmeshed in like hard social constructs of our upbringing. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to be like free thinkers and able to receive information yeah. um, a, a little more fluidly than others I like to think. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's true because it it takes um a conscious like um self not not self-exile necessarily, but it's it's departing from the traditions that most of us were raised in, you know, <laughs> right. to to take a step into magic work or witchcraft or whatever the case may be. Yeah. It raises a lot of eyebrows. <laughs> for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes us more receptive and open-minded. I think that's, I think that's true. Yeah. We hope. Yeah. We hope. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're, um, we're, we're doing, we're doing good on, on time. I think um, I have a, a couple more questions and these are maybe just a little bit. So one, I'm just curious about um, because you um, I did see on on your website. I think you had written, um, and this is like maybe it has it has some somewhat to do with activism, maybe, but more just like um, the progress of the way we think about um, magic or some of the pagan constructs of like God and goddess. So mm-hmm. you've written about including transgender people in uh, pagan traditions and how important that is and there have been problematic things done in the past where trans women were excluded from a women's circle because, I mean, for transphobic reasons, obviously. And one thing that I've always uh, sort of personally struggled with is just the idea of a god and a goddess in general. And now that's not something that exists in all magical traditions, um, but it does exist in a lot of them. And I just wanted to pick your brain on your thoughts on that or how we can have um, a, like a god and a goddess and also have room for non-binary people or agender people or like how, I don't know, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, um, that is an area that I think is just super exciting in terms of where pagan spiritualities are going mm-hmm. because you know, when I started um, around like 98, 99, um, all you had access to, unless you were looking at like uh, academic mythology texts were 
you know, binary man, woman, mm -hmm. god and goddess of Wicca. Mm -hmm. um, and then now just like all of these other traditions are emerging and exploding. Um, but even within Wicca itself, we're starting to see um, uh, experienced Wiccan elders who are coming forward, being a little more comfortable sharing the fact that, hey, these beings are actually still not as binary as you might think. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an initiate of the Anderson fairy tradition mm -hmm. of the craft. And um, what I love so much about our tradition um, with our mythos is that um, you might see a little bit of binary god goddess imagery on the very soft surface of things. You know, mm -hmm. if you were like just say downloading a list of the fairy deities, um, there are uh, six very famous um, main ones you might say that look very uh, like standard male, standard female. But then mm -hmm. when you actually get into the lore and how their stories and lessons are passed, you see that all of these gods are super queer. <laughs> yes. In, in their own right. Um, you know, they're shapeshifters, a lot of ways like um, the, the, the blue god who we might call Melitaus, um, mm -hmm. uh, who's the, the lord of the painted fan, shows up um, in forms that are meant to inspire um, whatever sort of sensual reaction the person they are working mm -hmm. with will experience. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you see that in um, many ancient pagan traditions, too, right? Um, polytheist cultures. Um, in a lot of them, it was very common to see gods and goddesses shape-shifting into different genders for various reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and though you have to look a little harder outside of the, you know, main ones that you're learning about in, <laughs> in a mm -hmm. history class, um, but, you know, there are non-binary deities and spirits, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have also noticed that um, uh, the pagan kind of movement as a whole, I guess you could say, is getting um, deeper into uh, animistic worldviews. Mm -hmm. um, so not necessarily looking at divinity as this like um, perfect symbolic construct, but people are doing direct relationship with spirits of you know nature and the cosmos. And sometimes they manifest as gods, sometimes they manifest and appear as, you know, plants or, mm -hmm. or just light beings. And um, anyone who does a lot of spirit work, um, especially in witchcraft traditions, will tell you that usually these spirit beings come to us in non-gendered forms anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I always just really encourage people to do work like spirit work, you know, talk to um, this just invisible population mm -hmm. <laughs> of beings. Um, and they, they can really tell you a lot about how uh, you know, all of this is a construct mm -hmm. <laughs> and that these uh, timeless ancient beings come to us in forms that we can understand. Yeah. But at the same time, our culture is moving to a place where I think they see that we're ready to understand more than we ever did before. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It makes total sense. <laughs> kind of a, a, my long rambling thoughts about it. <laughs> I, I love it. Thank you for sharing that so much. Um, and that's, I mean, it, it makes total sense. It makes total sense to me. That's how I think of the binary that exists in tarot a lot. Mm. Like, I mean, I love tarot, but 
I, it, there was sort of like a wall for me at first because it was so like, or it seemed to be so binary gendered. And there's this like underlying thing about like uniting the like male energy and the female energy. And I was like, blah, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but that's kind of, that's how I, I conceptualized that is that it, it is all a construct. And I personally think gender is a construct, uh, just a general, but what you said about um, these things present them to our present themselves to us in ways that we are familiar with, you know, or ways that we can sort of conceptualize or understand. And that says a lot more about our perceptions and our um, like biases and our cultural conditioning than it does about whatever those forces or beings actually are. So with something like tarot that was created centuries ago, or in the case of the Rider Waite deck, the Smith Waite deck, you know, a hundred some years ago, like these images are showing up that way because that was like the norm, the cultural norm at the time. That's what people understood, right? right? Not that it is like intrinsically binary gendered, <laughs> you know? Yes. So, I agree. Uh, yeah. And you, you do provide some tarot spreads in the book too. And you also do read tarot, correct? I think I uh, read that on your website, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Tarot and runes. Um, I yeah. actually, um, runes are, um, more kind of my personal wheelhouse. So when I do um, professional readings, I usually use that. And, um, that, that's a really fun non-gendered system. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause, Absolutely. Cause it's hard to gender a whole bunch of lines and squiggles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure we could do it if we really tried, but yeah. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> yeah. So as, as a last quest question, David, um, do you, uh, so this is just a fun one. Do you have a favorite tarot card? Yes, I do. The star. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah. It, it just really inspires me. Um, you know, in the Anderson fairy tradition, we, we have the star goddess, which is mm -hmm. this timeless, genderless, non-binary, powerful being that encourages all, encourages us all to find our, you know, uh, inner power, our inner light. Um, so yeah, that's definitely my inspiration card. I actually have a star card uh, taped right on the inside of my dream journal, and that's how I start my morning. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's also the card of Aquarius, and I'm an Aquarius, so I like that. Amazing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. I oh, love yeah. It. And it's Aquarius season now. Yay. Yeah. At the time that this is airing, I don't think it will be anymore, but right now it is. Um, In our hearts, it will be. <laughs> Hey, it is the age of Aquarius, right? So, yes. although I think actually we're technically in the age of Pisces still. I don't know. I'm unclear on where that line is. But yeah, I, I've heard there's some debate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't have to solve that right now. Um, David, is there anything that you want to say or add at the end that you want um, any of like any little activists or, or big activists to know that are listening to this? Oh, just... Yeah, th thanks for tuning in. And, you know, I um, hope that even if there were things that we talked about that someone may not have resonated with, let that be an empowering challenge to go out mm -hmm. and find your own thing that resonates with you and encourages you to speak up and act. Mm. Yes, yes. Thank you, David. And the book is Witchcraft Activism, a Toolkit for Magical Resistance, out for from Wiser Books. Um, yes. 
And the publication date is coming out on March 1st, which as of the airing of this interview will be like in a week or so. So wow, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody go, go buy that book. It seriously is. So like, there's, there's so many things in there that are helpful for activist work, but also just for like, like normal life stuff. So I highly recommend it. Um, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And where can um, can people find you on the internet anywhere or on social media anywhere? Sure, yeah. Um, my website's uh, daviddsalisbury.com. Um, I, I think I'm still the first Google result for my name, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. All right. Well, everybody go read the book. And I think that's it. running in circles, but we live within lines we put ourselves in boxes when the air is just fine we're digging down to the earth to find the sky we're always asking when but never why you've been listening to the word witch our theme music is counting rice by bitches in the beehive their album itty bitty spaces is out now the word witch is written produced and recorded by me claire burgess Our logo is designed by me too. Editing and tech support come from Danu Vino. You can follow The Word Witch on Instagram at the.word.witch. You can book tarot readings, find out about upcoming classes, and join our newsletter at thewordwitchtarot.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, join my Patreon at patreon.com slash thewordwitchtarot. For as little as $1, you'll receive collective tarot readings, tarot and astro content, downloads of my zines, and podcast outtakes and extras. Plus, you'll help make this podcast possible and help support a working witch. If you have a question for The Word Witch, email us at thewordwitchpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time, stay magical. Trying to shoot the moon Using everything we've got But that's just a piece of a spoon Ooh.